Well, it's an honor once again to be able to speak with you today, and thank you for this opportunity. Last time I was with you, we talked about Jesus commanding us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to raise up laborers to send them out into His harvest. And then in the end, when we labor for the Lord and we preach the gospel to people, people will come to know the Lord, and God in the end is going to reap a harvest unto Himself. Today's text, we're going to be looking at the rich young ruler. And this is a witness encounter that Jesus uses, uh, that the rich young ruler comes to him, asking him one of, a very important question, and that is how he can have eternal life. But when Jesus, what Jesus does is he takes him through the law of God, and he exposes uh, just how holy and how righteous God's standards really are. Because the question from the rich young ruler is, what can I do? And sometimes what we need to do is we need to just slow down and explain to people uh, who God is and His holiness and His righteousness. And when we take the time to do that, the cross and what Jesus did for us and what God provided can make a whole lot more sense. Because if we understand the fine or the penalty that we have, then we can understand why the fine had to be paid or who has to pay that. And so, life begins at conception. We believe that. We are given an eternal soul at conception that's never going to die. The Bible clearly teaches that death in this life is not the end. And everyone is going to live forever. Unfortunately, many will live in a place called hell, where there is weeping and there is wailing and gnashing of the teeth. Jesus warned about it often. He warned about it because he cared enough about people, not to scare them, but to warn them to flee from that awful place. And this, is, this eternal punishment is the wages that they have earned from their sins and neglecting the free gift of God that, of salvation that is offered to all. But you know, some are going to come to know that free gift and they're going to have a glorious hope which is eternal life in heaven where they're going to enjoy Christ forever. But two things can creep in that can hinder people from humbling themselves before God and receiving eternal life. One is self-righteousness and the other is work-righteousness. Self-righteousness just refers to an attitude whereby a religious person considers himself either morally upright or in right standing with God because of his adherence to the letter of legal requirements without regarding without regard to their spiritual state. What did Jesus say? He said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have people that, that believe that um, they've done, whether, whether we believe that since we, we don't lie, we don't steal, we're a pretty good person on a judgment day, God's going to, I'll be alright, don't worry about me. But what did Jesus say? We have to look internally because we are spiritually dead and we have to be made spiritually alive in order for us to enter in, to even have that, that hope. So a righteous person looks to themselves instead of looking to God and looking internally how God sees us. Well, so while self-righteousness could be thoughts and our behavior, works righteousness is, is kind of the same except it normally involves you doing something physical. In the, in the realm of, of Islam, you've got the five pillars of Islam. You have prayer, fasting, pilgrimage, almsgiving, and a profession of faith. 
Those are all things that you have to do. And in the end, you're not even certain that you've done enough or that you've, you've completed those things uh, that are beneficial to you. But you have to do them. You have to work your way into right standing with God. And some examples of self-righteousness would be judging other people's sin while overlooking your own. So it goes like this. Well, that guy over there, man, that guy's he's a liar. That guy's horrible. But we disregard the fact that we're liars too, that we've told lies in the past as well. Judging others based on your standards and not God's. And what happens is when we, when we disregard what God thinks, it, it becomes... Uh, you think that your standards are right and it becomes your opinions that rule the day. And so, so you, you lord yourselves over people by, by that they're not living up to, to your standard. You justify yourselves by comparing yourself to others and you, you blame others for your sin, never taking responsibility for your own actions or what you've done. Works righteousness pops its head up with with Islam, as we just talked about, and the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and New Age. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in works. You must work. When you go door to door, knocking on their doors, they're trying to earn their way to God. And when you slam the door in their face, or you tell them to go away, they like that because they're being persecuted and it's a reward for themselves. Mormons believe that you do your best and Jesus makes up what you lack in the end. If you work all your, your whole time and in the end, uh, if, you're, if you're not fit for the kingdom, don't worry, Jesus did that. Uh, wasn't that nice of God? You know, the whole slaughtering His Son on the cross to pay for the ransom of sins just in case you fall short on the day that you stand before God. Just in case. Well, unfortunately, self and works righteousness is still a teaching in Judaism. Uh, Judaism 101 on the internet, it just says this. It says the spiritual afterlife is referred to in Hebrew as Alum Haba. The Talmud states that all Israel has a share in the Alum Haba. However, not all shares are equal. A particularly righteous person will have a greater share in the Alum Haba than the average person. In addition, a person can lose his share through wicked actions. There are many statements in the Talmud that a particular mitzvah, that's a, a good deed that you perform, a giving to the poor or, or something, some work that you've done, will guarantee a person in, the pla- in a place in the Alam Haba, or that a particular sin will lose a person's share. But these are generally regarded as hyperbole or excessive expressions of approval or disapproval. We definitely believe, we definitely believe that your place in the Alum Haba is determined by a merit system based on your actions, not by who you are or what religion you profess. In addition, we definitely believe that all humanity is capable of being considered righteous in God's eyes or at least good enough to merit paradise after a suitable period of purification. So just, I mean, when we, be, when we take ourselves away from God's standards and we begin to rationalize what God has already said in our own minds, if you take a person like Hitler who has murdered six million Jews and you say that you think that pe- most people are, or could be considered righteous in God's eyes or, or they're good enough to merit paradise after a suitable period of purification, what is that? There's no standard at all. And it, it becomes a Romans chapter 1, verse 22 scenario. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Well, Jesus dealt with both works righteousness and self-righteousness. A person who felt his good deeds and moral perfection could get him eternal life was the rich young ruler. 
No man before Jesus or after Jesus Christ has ever produced a work righteous enough to merit them eternal life. But just the opposite is true. One man produced a work of unrighteousness which plunged the whole world into sin and brought death, not life. This was an issue throughout Jesus' ministry. He dealt with the self-righteous constantly with the Pharisees. He, uh, Jesus warned in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless you, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. How do you, how do you exceed self-righteousness? Well, it's by God's grace. By God's grace, you stop trusting in your own goodness and in your own righteousness and receive the righteousness of Christ. Um, receive the righteousness of Christ. Jesus was not self-righteous. He was righteous. And only by God's grace it can be imputed to you. It can be accredited to you. His righteousness, not your own. And at the end of this encounter that we're going to read, the disciples were, they were all astonished that Jesus said to this rich man, it would be hard for a rich man to enter in. Why? Because human reasoning, uh, it, allows, it, it allows for position and influence to enter in. And that is why with humanity, with, with man, salvation is not possible. But only with God, all things are possible. If you'll please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 17 and read through 27. It says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished. And said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you today. We just thank you for this opportunity to be here. um, That you brought us all here together. We just pray that for those, if there's anybody here that does not know you, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come, would convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and that we would lift up the name of Jesus up on high, that he would draw men unto him. 
And we pray that for those here that do know you, we pray that this will be a time of, of, of just um, examining ourselves and being sure that we're in the faith and um, glorifying God in the, in the wonderful fact that it is not by our own works that we can be saved, but it is by the work of one who was righteous. Lord, we just pray for uh, Pastor Brandon as he travels and preaches today. Be with him also. Lord, um, may you do a mighty work through him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one second. Verse 17. It says, as he was setting out on a journey. Where was he going? As we enter into chapter 10, it says that he went from Capernaum to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And after our verses, it says that he was on his way to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. So this journey is this final journey up to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to be offered up on the cross to be that atoning sacrifice for our sin, satisfying divine justice so that you and I would have an opportunity to repent, to turn away from our sin and put our trust alone in what Christ has done for us. Don't you see that it's appropriate, how appropriate it is that this question of how I can have eternal life is going to be presented to him during this time of travel for him. We know that um, on, in the last part of verse 17, it says, On this journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. And we know from Scripture that he was a rich man and he was a ruler. So it's reasonable that he was well-known, he was respected as a local businessman. He was a person uh, who was well-educated. He had a lot of power and influence and money. Uh, he, because he's a ruler, he had a spiritual background as well in the synagogue, somebody who, who knew the Scriptures. And what does he do? He comes and he kneels before Christ, showing, showing some sign of respect. And Jesus is no stranger to crowds following him or people approaching him. In every chapter leading up to chapter 10, it says that the crowds were coming to him or Jesus was going away from the crowds. The Gospels show that Jesus had compassion on people, healing the sick and raising the dead. And right before this passage, we hear that the beautiful phrase of suffer not the little children to come unto me. It just shows that Jesus is approachable. Our God is a personal God. He, he's, he deals with people. And this young man saw an opportunity to ask his question. So he knelt and he asked. He says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, a question that was asked and, and Jesus, a question is asked and Jesus is about to answer the question, how do I live forever? Well, whether you believe it or not, Jesus is God in the flesh. He was that incarnate man who came down. He was fully God and fully man. And so it gives a little bit more gravity to his answer because if this, if there was ever going to be a truthful answer, how you can live forever, this is going to be it. But if the answer to this question is a sure way to have eternal life, then the question is, why wouldn't you do it? It's eternity. Notice the young man, he doesn't ask, hey, if there is eternal life, what must I do? He believes and he knows that there's something bigger or greater that happens when you die, and he wants to live. In Genesis 2, the Bible says that God breathed into the, into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and they became a living being. The King James Version says he became a living soul. And... Our soul will never die. And so we want to live because God has placed that in us. It's a good desire. 
But the question itself is still flawed. He says, what shall I do? Because he's looking to himself. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. Because if eternal life is based on the doing good things or the, the good deed system, then Bill Gates is in and we're all out. You know, we're talking about a rich young ruler back then. Well, as one computer geek to another, Bill Gates is, is in. He has the most money, he has the most influence, and he has power. How could we ever match that? How could you and I come close to the, the good deed that he's able to do? So unless there's an attainable standard, then you and I would never know if you did enough or what was needed. But you see, God is strict when it comes to eternal life. We must enter through the door that God provided. We have a sin problem. And we have to deal with sin before we can go through. Jesus is that sinless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one making it possible to be reconciled back to God and to have peace with Him. And if you want to enter into eternal life, you must go through the only door that there is. We're talking about humbleness and humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit and not the proud. But do you notice that there's no rebuke for the question? Jesus isn't angry that he said, what must I do? But first, Jesus addresses the, the issue of good. He says in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. God is moral, absolute moral goodness, and we're not. Because when we, because in the, um, in Psalms fifty three three in Romans three twelve it just says that all have turned aside together they have become useless there is none who does good there is not even one when we compare ourselves to God the the one who is perfect the one who's never lied he's never stolen believe it or not he's never used his name as a curse word as as blasphemy and so when we when we compare ourselves to that standard. How, how, far, how, how far, far do we, do we really fall? We're not good. Jesus already knows the condition of this man's heart, and he knew the motive behind the question, so Jesus begins to systematically take him down a notch and begins to point out that there was nothing good that he could do to get to heaven. And he begins to show him how dark his heart really is by holding up God's mirror of the Ten Commandments to him. Listen to this analogy by Ray Comfort. He says, A little girl was once watching a sheep eat green grass and thought how white it looked against that green background. But when it began to snow, she thought, That sheep now looks dirty against that white snow. But it was the same sheep, but with a different background. And so what happens is when we compare ourselves to man's standard, we look pretty clean. But when we compare ourselves to the pure white snow of righteousness, uh, uh, the righteousness of God's standard, His law, we can see ourselves in truth that we are unclean in His sight. That law is the holy standard by which all humanity will be judged on the day of judgment. So Jesus begins to explain this to the young man and He uses the Ten Commandments of why he can't eternal life. Look at this. He's, in verse 19, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Matthew records this story as well, and if you put them together, Jesus is saying, you know the commandments. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So let's look at this list. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. 
Do not lie. He says, do not defraud. This one is only found in Mark. It just means don't cheat people. Don't lie. And don't uh, honor your father and your mother. Now, just take this real quick from a, from a human perspective and think through it through, through a, the lens of our minds. Do you see this progression here from the severe to light infractions? We can see a murder, right? There's a body, there's a dead person, you're standing over him, it's, it's really bad. You just took a life. And that can be verified forever. Hitler killed lots of people and he's remembered for it to this very day. We can see adultery. Everyone involved has broken hearts. It's hurtful. It's very bad. We can see an object that somebody stole, whether it's big or little. Uh, It's serious, but it's not the end of the world. And what what I mean by that is just just from human reasoning and comparing that to a murder. But what I'm saying, we can't see a lie. You can't see that. That's not something that you can see. It's hurtful. It can ruin people. It can ruin their careers. It can ruin their lives. Uh, But it's not a body that I can drag out in front of you and show you. When I was, I lied when I was 10, and none of you were there. And you don't have a record of it. Dishonoring your parents. My mom's here. She can verify it. When I was five, and only then, I dishonored them. My, but my parent, I dishonored them, but I can't present that to you. I can't show that to you because it was a long time ago. And so what happens is there's, there's nothing physical to show you. And so lying and stealing and dishonoring your parents, these sins are usually overlooked as serious infractions because, um, because they're so common. But God saw my whole life and He holds me responsible even for those things in the past. And even if I don't remember the occasion, God does. Think about it again. We have a young businessman who is wealthy and Jesus comes blasting away with the ten cannons of the moral law and he hits him with, do not murder. You've got to be kidding me. What do I need to do to have eternal life? Don't murder. All right. I got this. I got one foot in the door. I've never killed anybody. But remember on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking and He he magnifies that law of God. And He says He equates anger at your brother as murder in your heart. How about don't commit adultery? This can go two ways. It's fine. He's a young man and he's not married, therefore he's never committed adultery. Or maybe he is married and he's never cheated on his wife, therefore he's all good. Once again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uplifting that holy law, and He says, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you that if you even look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Why these two? Because God goes beyond the physical acts done in the body. And He knows our thoughts and He knows what's in our hearts and all those things are going to be dragged out on the day of judgment and they're going to be put on trial. See, God is everywhere at all times and He can see everything. Nothing is going to be missed when we stand before Him. Don't steal. The value of an item is not relevant. If I reach in your pocket and take out a dollar, that's just as bad if I reach in and take out a hundred. Do not defraud. Do not lie. Rabbi Shmuley, if you're that interested, you, you can free to Google him when you get home. Rabbi Shmuley said that the Ninth Commandment 
Thou shalt not bear false witness means that if you are ever a witness in a trial, uh, on the witness stand, that you are not to tell a lie. And because he has never been sworn in as a witness on trial, therefore he's never broken the ninth commandment. So God only cares if you lie if you're on trial as a witness. Uh, all the other times are a free-for-all. I bring that up just to say this, that men are very clever, and we craft all kinds of things to justify ourselves and our sins. And as we're going to hear in an audio clip in just a moment, we're going to hear this, another lady that I, had to, I got to speak with this, this year, and she just begins to justify herself, and she has no idea why God should be angry at her uh, uh, regarding these things. Honor your father and your mother. I mean, if you think about all, all five of those commandments that were just shot at him, I mean, the man's hanging his head in shame and just saying, man, I haven't kept any of those. I'm in pretty big trouble. No, that's, that's not how it ends. That's not how it goes. The, the self-righteousness continues. And he says to Jesus, I've kept all of these things from my youth up. Matthew, you go over to Matthew, it says, he says, what do I still lack? I've kept all these things. Now you know he's a young man. He's a thick in the head. It's like talking to a wall. Well, here's a witness encounter that I had this year. Now imagine this girl being the rich young ruler. And listen to her as she tries to justify herself before God's holy law, just like the rich young ruler. And she can't see any reason why God would punish her. Let's listen. We'll bring all those things into judgment. How are you? Did you get one of these? It's a gospel trick. Oh, I'm coming up there. Oh, all right. You're strong. It's a light bike. <laughs> oh, all right. There you go. It's a gospel track. It has a gospel message on the back. Okay. You come from a Christian background? I don't. I actually, uh, my dad is a Jehovah's Witness, and oh. my mom is uh, my mom's not religious at all. Oh, okay. I was just kind of curious as to why, I mean, why the places? Why here? Um, well, actually, the Bible says to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay. Um, I believe, well, I don't believe. I know that God has saved me. He's changed my heart. Um, I believe that it is the responsibility of all Christians everywhere. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses feel the same way. I get that right? from my dad. Okay. You know? He, uh, you know, he would go and, and talk to everybody about the Bible and, okay. you know, the word of the Lord. But I just, I don't know. So where, I just kind of getting irritated with it, you know. It, it's sad that you can't find a, a a place where there's not a lot of kids and more adults. Oh, that are you irritated want. with it? No. Well, I mean, I I can understand why other oh. people are irritated okay. with it, but I do understand why you're doing it. Well, I mean, the, the Bible does say that the preaching of the gospel is uh, is offensive to those who are perishing in their sins. So, I That's mean, true. if they're That's offended true. by it, there's a condition of their heart that that. Um, is revealed and, and therefore that's why I'm here. So, yeah. so let me ask you, where do you where do you do you believe in God? Do you believe in heaven and hell, that kind of stuff or I believe in a, I don't believe in God. Okay. I believe that there is a an entity. Okay, that something is, bigger than yeah. all of us? Yes. Okay. Yes. I am very spiritual. Very spiritual. I'm not religious. Okay. I am spiritual. Well religion isn't good. Religion says that there are things that we have to do to get back to God. Christianity is, says there's nothing that we can do. We've already uh, spoiled that relationship, broken that relationship with God, right. and that there's only one way back to Him. So let me ask you a question. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Oh, of course. Okay. I'm going to ask you I three... I don't lie. I don't steal. Well, let me ask you three questions to see if that's true. How many lies have you told in your lifetime? Oh, gosh. 
In my adolescence, too many to count. Okay, what do you call somebody who tells lies? A liar. Okay, have you ever stolen anything, irregardless of the value? Mm, yep. Okay, what In my adolescence. <laughs> All right. What do you call somebody who steals things? A thief. All right. And this is a tough one, but Jesus said that if you even look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever done that? Hmm. Look with sexual desire at somebody else, another man, or... Well, I mean, I think, I think honestly, <laughs> that that's natural. Okay. Personally. Well... There's, a, there's an element to it that's natural, okay? God has given us the ability to be attracted to people, okay? Yeah. But what happens is when people say that it's a natural thing, um, there are, what I say is that th there are women who are not as attractive as others, right? Mm -hmm. And although they have the same parts, I'm not trying to be... I know what you're okay. saying. Well, you know, we don't tend to lust after those. We tend to lust after what is pleasurable to the eye. Right. Okay. So in that sense, it's not natural. It's actually sinful that God, that when we talk about lusting after people, because it's it's normally what brings us pleasure is what we're lusting after, not... Men are visual and physical creatures. Women are emotional creatures. Okay. So, that's what I've always So a guy who's 400 pounds with two, one leg and one arm, that's attractive to hey, you. Hey, if he has a good personality, uh, yes it I, is. Well, I'm not trying to argue that with you. I'm yeah. saying, have you ever looked at yes, a person in lust? Okay. And and that's what Jesus said, that if you ever look with that, you've committed adultery in your heart. Because because God goes beyond the physical act. Done so are you saying that, that when you see a person that you find attractive and you think sexual thoughts, that you're automatically, even if you don't even plan to think that way, you are committing adultery? Which is sinning. Sure. Even though you can't help thinking, oh God, I, I wonder what she well, looks like with her clothes off, or you know. Well, but Jesus like said is the one who said that if you even look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. So we I need to be careful. That. We need to be careful in that room. How about if you ever hated some? Have you ever been angry at somebody? Of course, I've been angry. Okay. At people. And Jesus said that you've committed murder in your heart actually through that anger at people, because once again, wow. well, because once again. The almighty, all-seeing eye of God goes beyond the physical acts, and he sees our thought life, and he knows what's in our heart. And that's why I don't believe in the God that well, everybody presents well, him to be. I don't okay. believe that there's an invisible man. I'm, I'm sure you don't, because, well, be, well, because, see, and that's, I think that's why you don't believe in him, is because what God calls sin, you're saying, I don't agree with that. So, in essence, you don't want to believe in him because you disagree with, would I, with would his, I his standards. Well, so let me ask you a question. I don't know you. I'm not judging you. Based on your own admission, though, you're a liar, a thief, an adulterer at heart, and a murderer at heart. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me rebuttal that real okay. quick. Okay. Okay. I am not a thief or a liar or... Sure you are. Okay. Okay. But I'm one who has learned my lesson. Okay. Therefore, I'm a better person because of the mistakes that okay. I've made and because of the lies that okay. I've told and because of the things that I've stolen and the repercussions. So you don't. So now you don't steal because you're a better person. Now I don't steal because I've learned my lesson. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. So I don't think that at this point, me standing here right now, I'm a murderer, liar, or thief. No. Okay. Well. But we don't do that with murderers. I mean, a murderer, if he, you know, the the. Um, Statue of limitations doesn't run out on that. Why? Because time doesn't necessarily erase the crime. And what you're what you're doing is you're saying I've lied in the past, and therefore God 
no are, longer see are that. Are you saying that you've never stolen anything? Oh, I've stolen. Yeah, lied, I've lied. So yeah, I've looked with lust. I've I've hated people. I've committed uh, murder in my heart. So I've coveted. Of the fact that you've embraced religion, then you just so you're no, I didn't embrace way. anything. Jesus embraced the cross on my behalf, and because I repented and put my trust in what He's done, God now considers me legally justified and sanctified on behalf of Christ. You see. So let me ask you another question. <laughs> You see how she justifies herself? Just, just that, that trying to explain away what God's moral law. See, what happens is when we talk about lying and stealing, we know that those things are wrong. We don't want anybody lying to us, and we certainly don't want anyone coming in and taking our things. So we know and we like those things. The, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, that's a good one. We like that one. We don't want people coming in and murdering us. That's a good one to keep. And so, but what happens is because we know that those things are good, God holds us morally responsible and personally responsible for violating His law that we know that we should be keeping. And He holds us responsible for that. And, and that's, I mean, just that conversation, I just hear the rich young ruler maybe not justifying himself to Jesus, but maybe in his mind, just going through those commandments as Jesus brings them out to him and just saying, yeah, that's, that was in the past. That, that's no big deal. Okay, okay. Well, I've kept all these things from my youth up. How many commandments did Jesus give him? He gave him five commandments. Did he follow along? I don't know, maybe. But he didn't see anything on that list that really affected him. There wasn't anything on there that, that was going to, to be uh, uh, directed at him. This young man was not impressed with the law. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and he tells them this. He says, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Look back at verse 19. You know the commandments. Well, yes, he knew the commandments, but conviction wasn't there. And so, because conviction wasn't there, Jesus yelled at him and he, and he told him, he said, go away then, you don't understand anything. No. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians 4, chapter 6, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, so just, just look at this. In verse 21, Jesus looking at him. It says that he felt a love for him. I think this is a, uh, just amazement that this young ruler is trying to justify himself. Jesus felt a love for him. Listen, just before we go any further, don't make the mistake that the world makes. That God is just a God of love and therefore he's just going to forgive everybody. Love does not affirm people in their sins. Always remember that justice is loving and God is fair and just and He will always do that which is right. John MacArthur explains love in this way. He says, When God invites a sinner to repent and receive forgiveness, His pleading is from a sincere heart of genuine love. Ezekiel 33 says, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back. From your evil ways, why then will you die, O house of Israel? God clearly does love those who spurn His tender mercy, but it is a different quality of love and different in degree from His love for His own. So just watch as Jesus lovingly pleads with this man, and if he and he even goes on and he spells out what this man has to do to have eternal life. Verse twenty-one: One thing you lack. 
Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. So boil down, what, are, what do you need to do for eternal life? Go sell all you possess, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. The end. That's it. That's what you need to do. But we're about to see the parable of the sower and the soils in action. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus just gave a, a parable of the sower, sower and the soils and the disciples afterwards went to him and said, what, is, what does all that mean? Can you explain that to us? And so Jesus begins to explain and he says, others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of this world, now listen, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. In verse 22 it says, At these words, but at these words, the rich young ruler, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus only shot five cannons of the moral law at him, and there's still four more to go. Or, sorry, five, 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 five. We've got to add. All right. Five more to go. Jesus turns and he fires three more cannons all at once at this young man. And he shoots him. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to any graven image and you shall not covet. His God was his money and his possessions. His false idol was worshiping a God he, he clearly didn't know. Listen, if you can get through five of the Ten Commandments and you look and you say, well, all right, what do I still lack? Well, you have a false view of God. And you're worshiping an image created in your mind, in your own likeness, a God who really doesn't care about sin. And he doesn't exist. It says that he went away grieving or sorrowful. This is not a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Uh, he went away sorrow, grieving and sorrowful because he had great possessions. And listen, when we walk away from eternal life because, uh, because of our possessions, that's coveting. If we can't drop it and follow Christ, that's coveting. We need those things more than we need the things of God. Drop it all and follow Christ. Don't walk away sorrowful and grieving because you love TV or something just as meaningless. How come, how come in this whole encounter we don't see the gospel yet? We don't see, and we're not going to see a gospel presentation because there's no repentance. There's no conviction. Uh, this man's heart was still hard. And if the ruler doesn't see his state before God is dire, then the gospel is not good news at all. It's just noise. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. We are not to cast our pearls before swine and the gospel is a precious jewel that we are not to throw under the feet of men to be trampled on. If we, if we personally do not tremble at the Mount Sinai, at the thunderings of God's law, then we will never cling to the cross for hope, understanding that God is rich in mercy. We'll never do it. The question is, where do you stand today? Just real quick, have you ever told one lie? Have you ever stolen one thing? Then God sees you as a liar and a thief. Those are only two of the commandments. There's still eight more to go. If you violated any of them, then God sees that's you'll be guilty on the day of judgment of breaking His moral law. And God's punishment for those who have sinned against Him really is hell for all eternity. Hell is a place where there is weeping and wailing, gnashing of the teeth, where the worm never dies and the fires never quench. That that's absolutely is bad news. It's horrible news. 
And that's the reality, though, is that if we sin against God, that's what we do deserve. But what is the good news? The good news is God didn't leave us alone in our our sinful condition. He sent a Savior into the world, born of a virgin. He lived the righteous life that you and I could not. He he Because He was that sinless Lamb of God, He went to the cross paying the penalty for sin. And God now commands all men everywhere to repent. That means to turn away from our sin. Turn away from from ourselves and turn towards God and put our trust alone in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what happens? It's called the great exchange. God takes the sins that we've committed and He deals with them by nailing them to the cross where Jesus died. And then He takes the righteousness of Christ and He imputes it to you. It's accredited to you so that when you die and stand before God, it's no longer you alone in your sins that God sees. You are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ when you stand before Him. And you can be legally justified. You can be legally sanctified before God. The way of eternal life has just been explained to you. Christ has made the way possible, and it only cost Him His life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, are you willing to do what God, what, the, what God says to do? To turn to Christ today and live? Are you willing to surrender your sin? Are you willing to surrender your life to gain eternal life? And just in closing, I would just like to clarify that there's no reason to conclude from this text today that God hates money or possessions. The issue was that the young ruler would rather, wait, rather walk away sorrowful and grieving than enter into life on God's terms. He didn't want to give up those things that he enjoyed in order to have eternal life on God's terms. And that's what God is calling everyone to do. To give up the things that you enjoy, which is yourself, and, and you're trusting in your own righteousness. Give that up. Turn away from it. And enter in on God's terms, which is through the only door that that there is to go through, and that is Christ. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Come to Him today and live. If there's anybody here and you would like to talk more about these things after the service, I'm more than glad to do that. Talk to you as long as you you need. But don't walk away sorrowful. Today is the day of salvation. Repent, turn, and put your trust in Christ today and live. Let's close in prayer. And when we close in prayer after that, I'd just like to sing the first line of Amazing Grace. You can stay in your seats. And as we close, Phil will come and, and give the announcements. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You for the words of Scripture today. We pray that we would turn away from our self-righteousness and we would, um, Lord, that our possessions would not uh, possess us enough to, to turn away from eternal life. I pray that we would see um, the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and, and through the law, the, what You have given us to look at to see if we measure up to You. But how wonderful it is that if we don't measure up, that there is one who did. And that if we repent and cry out to Him and put our trust in Him, Lord, that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. What a blessed hope that is. Lord, I pray that You would uh, go with each person this week 
and we pray that you'd be with them. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.